Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Unleashed with me, yours truly, Dave McMahon, on 4680q.ca and 4680q.com. We broadcast my show live around 11 a.m.-ish on Wednesdays. And of course, uh, if you miss a live episode of this super awesome show, you can always catch it on Spotify and every other podcast platform on the planet. Now, generally, it takes about 24 hours for the podcast to be placed everywhere around the globe. So give us some time, but uh, you'll certainly uh, have a chance to share it with friends. Uh, We always have a good time, unrehearsed, unfiltered, you know, and um, it's always interesting people that I'm chatting with. For instance, on today's program, Brad McIntosh is here. He's a uh, dog owner. He's an animal lover. He's a general uh, falconer. He also owns uh, a pig or maybe pigs, plural. (laughs) And uh, he's also a dog training enthusiast. He's trained a few dogs at the Dave McMahon Academy that I own in Niagara Falls. And then sitting next to him is uh, a good friend of mine, Mike London. He is co-hosting today. We're so happy to have Mike with us. He takes a break to go uh, to come down here and sit with me and have a great time. Mike owns Reptile Kingdom Canada. Mike's also a dog training enthusiast and a big-time animal lover. Welcome to the program, gentlemen. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. So glad you boys are here this morning. We uh, started a bit late, had a little technical problem, but we are up and flowing. Let's start with you first, uh, Brad McIntosh. As I mentioned, you're a big-time dog lover, dog training enthusiast, uh, general falconer, and uh, owner of uh, various different animals and birds and things of such, birds of prey. Uh, How did you and I first meet? You came to me years ago, trained a dog with me? That's correct. In 2016... I, Holy shit, long time ago. I started my training with Dave McMahon. Um, I've got a Preston Canary Mastiff named Bruiser. Knew his size was going to be big and wanted to make sure we had total control. And you did. You achieved total control with your dog Bruiser at that time. That is correct. We did. We were with you for about two and a half years with that dog. Now you came to me because your dog Bruiser needed obedience training but i'm pretty sure you also fell in love with dog training much like mike london he's fell in fallen in love with me of course but also dog training <laughs> absolutely i just i really liked watching the other students in class seeing them progress not just necessarily myself but watching everybody as a group progress and i mean you're always entertaining as well so, I try. I really try. Probably try too hard sometimes. <laughs> so we always had a lot of laughs, and it was a fun. It was a fun hour out every week. Right on. And so now, tell us about the dog that you currently have. So I have a small Mutzenlander, which is a hunting dog. Um, he's a all-versed hunting dog. He'll do everything from land to water tracking. Um, we use him for kicking up rabbits and squirrels for our hawks. It's one of our, you'd say, most common dog you're going to see in the falconry as well as people like to use jack russells and um smaller dogs that get into the wood piles where the bigger dogs like my dog's 55 pounds so he's not going to get into the small wood piles where the jack russells will get into the wood piles to chase the rabbits out absolutely yes that's what people are using miniature doxins um and then yeah right down like i mean some of these dogs are pound and a half that these people are using where you know, you go over to the UK, they use ferrets a lot with the hawks. Okay. I have a standard dachshund who would probably love that job more than anything. 
Yeah, you I mean, and that's just it. Once they get on that track of the rabbit, it's amazing that the birds pick up that the dogs are working for them, and it gets to the point where the birds will follow the dogs because they know that the dogs are working for them. And like I hunted with a gentleman named Nathan. Now he hunts with a goshawk, a Jack Russell, and a, a small Mutzenlander. And it's gr it's great. It's his Mutzenlander Inga's job to find the rabbit. Then he kicks Haley into the wood pile. And as soon as Haley lets that bark go, that goshawk's head sticks up and she knows what's happening. And you stand back and watch it. They all do their part and they all work together. And it's pretty amazing on how well these birds respond to our dogs. Now, for those that don't know a whole lot about the Mutzenlander, can you draw a mental picture for them? Give them uh, some description of the breed, the Mutzenlander. They are they're medium. Because sure as shit, many people haven't even heard of a Mutzenlander. That, which is correct. A lot of people haven't heard of them. Um, to be honest with you, the first time I heard of them was about two years ago when I got out on my first hunt. And uh, they're just they're, they're a medium to small dog. They're the average of 35 to say 50 pounds. Um, they're, they're a water dog for sure. They love the water. They're... A medium to long coat dog. They look a little bit like a Springer Spaniel, I guess, but they have a long tail. They are a pointer, so they will point, and then when we give them the command, they will break, and they will chase those rabbits for us. They're a longer snout dog? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Or, uh, you know what we call it in the dog world as well? Snipey muzzle. Yeah. When they have a, a longer muzzle, you know that oh, yeah, term, absolutely. right? absolutely. He's got a snipey muzzle. That's what he's got. And what do you feed him? Uh, raw kibble? What do you feed him? Uh, we're on a strict raw food diet I right had now. a feeling. Yes. You look like a raw food kind of guy. 100%. I'm a firm believer in raw food. I mean, we do add a little bit of additives with his fiber because he doesn't get a lot of fiber through the raw food. But, I mean, I'm a strict raw food dog diet guy. Yeah. Any yeah. recommendations for uh, where, where to get your raw food from? Um, I deal with the meat shop in Niagara Falls. Uh, I deal with Bill. He's a fantastic guy. I believe they're doing anywhere between five to 7,000 pounds per week of raw wow. food. Um, they have now a factory where they actually have, I believe, four guys in that factory. And that's what they do is they make raw dog food all day, every day. Comes all packaged. You just... Correct. The meal. It, you get them in one-pound packages, two-pound packages, and I believe four-pound packages. Twice a day? Once twice, twice a day. Twice a day. Yeah. Twice a day. My small dog will eat like a half pound in the morning and a half pound for supper, where the big dog will eat sometimes two pounds in the morning and two pounds in the afternoon. What's it costing you to feed the Munsonlander per month? I've, Did I pronounce it right? Correct. Um, <laughs> I... I because I've been dealing with Bill for so long. You're getting like, a good deal. I'm getting a little bit of a good deal. I mean, he takes, definitely takes care of me. I mean, it's, it's, when you weigh it out to kibble, I'm definitely, uh, it's, it's almost the exact same, if not a little bit cheaper. Wow. And yeah. I mean, when I'm pulling this food out, it's the same quality as you're buying at the front counter. Like, it's actual chunks of meat. It's not a mush. You see the vegetables that he has into it. So you're not getting, I mean, he's actually taken the meat, made a hamburger, cooked on the barbecue, and ate it to prove that this is the same food as I'm serving my customers out front as I'm giving our dogs yeah. back. I bought steaks from Bill at the meat shop yeah. in Niagara Falls. He's got some good stuff, good Fantastic sausages, guy. all kinds of sausages as well. So what is the ideal weight for an adult Munsonlander, uh, male or female? Oh, well, or see, my, the females are going to be a little bit smaller. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say around 35 to say 45 pounds. My male's a little bit on the chubby side right now. We're just getting back... Um, 
back into running the winter, so he's losing weight now, and he was 51 pounds. He's 51 pounds. Now, would you say that this breed of dog, the Munzlander, would have the equivalence of the athleticism of, let's say, a Belgian Melanois or a Border Collie? I would say absolutely. I mean, this dog wakes up in the morning, and the minute I open my back door, he's hunting. He's looking for rats, or rats, squirrels, you name it. From the time he wakes up, time he goes to bed, and even at nighttime, you hear him pacing like he does not stop. Do you give him a bone to shut him down, just to give him a place command and just have him relax? Or we, we do. We definitely we have quiet times because if we don't, <laughs> I need quiet times from all these animals. Oh you know, yeah, running, having a pig and two big and you know, two dogs roaming around the house all the time. Sometimes it does get hectic when they all want to play together. Yeah. So let's move into birds. When did your fascination with um, birds of prey begin? I would say about five years ago. I went to medieval times and I for dinner. Correct. And <laughs> I seen them flying the falcon, and I was like, I I want to do that. So we left there, and I did some research, and then I found out how much time it takes and dedication. And at that point, my kids were still. A little bit on the young side, um, so fast forward to last year, my kids are all old enough to take care of themselves, they're all working full time, got their own cars, so I went out and I contacted the Ontario Hawking Club, and I got some names, and I reached out to a gentleman by the name of Dion, and Dion said, hey listen, me and Nathan are going out this weekend, if you want to join us, come on out. And I went and I met him, and these guys, basically, they opened their wing, and they've both guided me, helped me, any questions I needed. It's just, it's, a, it's an amazing community, and from that point forward, I seen a goshawk, those two dogs work together, they were successful, they were able to get a rabbit, I was obsessed, I, I, I didn't think about anything else but flying a bird, and then the first time I got to hold one, it was game changer. I, I knew this is what I wanted to do. So then I started, I mean, I've been studying for a couple of years. I know what I needed to do. So I started building what we call a mew. A mew is the house that the bird lives in on our property. Our regulations are we need an eight foot by an eight foot mew for that bird. There's standards and guidelines? There is. It's well, very, very highly reg, uh, regulated through the Ministry of Natural Resources. Um, we Sorry, have, I didn't mean to break your stride, but yeah, explain that. Well, we, it's just not everybody. We, you have to, first of all, you have to have the minimum of a hunting license. You have to possess a hunting license in Ontario before you can even apply to be an apprentice falconer. Before you can apply to be a, a falc or apprentice falconer, you need to find a mentor. There's not a mentor in Ontario that is just going to say, yeah, I'll take you. You know, we have a girl named Lisa. She lives in Ottawa. This girl drived last weekend six hours down here to help for so I could go and help her trap a wild tail or a wild red tail hawk drove all the way back to Ottawa like that's dedication these are the people that we want as falconers because if they're willing to drive six hours just to get a bird you know she's going to spend two hours every single day with that bird yeah you know and she 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 was an apprentice with me last year and she did fantastic she did fantastic as well so this isn't just a you know a male sport we have a lot of females and very very successful females in this sport so if you want a bird, you, you you have to get a wild bird. Is that how you start? Um, no, we. They great question, Mike. Good question. Yeah, that's, why I'm <laughs> that's why you're here to ask the good question. You could buy a captivity bred bird. Um, they just recommend, and it's highly suggested that you start out with a passage wild uh, red tail bird, or you know American kestrel, but something that's a passive bird. They've grew up with their parents. They've already been out in the wild. They've already hunted, so they already kind of have an idea of what they're doing. 
we come along and then what we do is we help advance them in their hunting game. Um, unfortunately with red tails, they don't have a high, or a high success rate for life. They, they're going to either get hit by cars, they're going to get electrocuted, they're going to get predators. There's a lot of things that are after the red tails. So by one of us falconers taking a wild bird out of the wild, training it, we've increased the chance of survival probably about 80%. So generally we'll take a bird for one or two seasons, fly that bird, and then we'll release it back into the wild so that it can go on and breed and bring more. Okay. So, you, so you, you get your hunting license, you get a, a mentor that do then need to get a permit to, okay, I got a permit for one red-tailed hawk, how does that work? Correct, yeah. So well then once you get your mentor, we apply for a falconer apprentice license through the MNR. Um, your mentor has to sign off. That consists of a 15-month apprenticeship or apprenticeship with two Octobers. Then you have to, then you go at that point, you sit down and discuss what kind of bird you want to hunt with your mentor. Your mentor is going to rec make your recommendations. A lot of people go with the juvenile red-tailed hawk. Okay. That's what a lot of people generally go with. Or a Harris hawk. Um, the difference is a Harris hawk is not n native to here. So when we get our cold, cold weathers, they're not used to the cold weathers. They're from like, you know, New Mexico. They're out where it's more warmer weathers. So we're going to have cold days where we can't hunt the Harris hawks, where the red-tailed hawk can hunt every single day. They're never, you know what I mean, they're native here. They're, they sit out on telephone Am I bolts. mistaken to do Harris hawks uh, migrate here for some season? No, no, no. Okay, no. Harris not here, no. Okay. Yeah, if you see one in the wild, it's chances are it's gotten away from a falconer. Okay. Yes. It's crazy. It's it's absolutely crazy. What what birds are off the list? Like I imagine you wouldn't be able to get a permit for a bald eagle. Could you even use an eagle for hunting? Um, you could. You you. I mean, any bird will technically hunt. The problem is, is you get something like a bald eagle. A bald eagle itself is they like water. They're gonna hunt fish. Well, not not necessarily. That's the only thing they're gonna hunt. But they you're gonna see them like if you drive down the QEW right into Jordan, right where the lake house is. We have a uh, group or a pair of adults that just had a juvenile. And last week I was driving down, you seen the juvenile sitting right under the bridge looking for, for fish coming through. Where a red-tailed hawk's more or less going to be out looking for mice and rodents and, and uh, squirrels. So generally when people fly... More user-friendly. Right. They're going to use golden or, or I mean bald eagles for um, educational purposes, for putting on show purposes, um, rehabilitation. That's where people are usually going to get them for... Damage. It's not something that somebody's going to go out and hunt with on a regular basis. It's an extremely impressive bird. I, I always blown away when you see one in the reel that have the size, the just the sheer size of a bald eagle. Absolutely. That is extremely interesting stuff. So, with your bird, uh, for those that are just maybe tuning in live now, for instance, give us an idea of specifically what you're hunting for. Hunting rabbits. We're hunting rabbit, squirrel. Um, with this Harris hawk, I'm also trying to introduce her into um, pigeons, crows, and ducks as well. So, I mean, she's she'll chase anything that basically we've trained her to chase. So that's the thing. When you get a parent-reared bird and it comes out of a muse with, from its parents, it sees a rabbit. It doesn't know that that rabbit's food. So we have to train it that that rabbit's food. We have to train it that that squirrel's food. And even with a wild-take bird... If that wild take bird's never hunted a squirrel before, it doesn't know that that squirrel's food. So we have to train it to hunt squirrels. And that goes to the point of trapping a squirrel, dispatching it, tying it to rope, throwing it high up into a tree, have oh. a girlfriend or a friend 
hide behind that tree holding on that string. You put your bird up at the end of the park, you walk it through the tree, you know, have it fly through the trees, and when it gets close, you start screaming the hunting command, and she'll start dangling that squirrel high up in a tree because hawks naturally look down, they don't look up. So to get a hawk to look up is a challenge. And so this is a conditioned behavior. Correct, yeah. It's not innate for them to be looking up, is what you're saying. Right, because they're usually at the highest point looking down for things running through ah, the grass. okay. So when we hunt squirrels... You're squirrel, teaching them to look in the trees. Right, so a lot of people, and I was told by you know a senior falconer that you want to train your bird to hunt squirrels before you train it to hunt rabbits, because once you get them on rabbits, they're always going to be looking for rabbits. Squirrels are a little bit more challenging. They'll bite and they move, they're, they're rats of the trees. So we like to get them introduced on squirrels before we get them on rabbits because once they're on squirrels, they're gonna chase anything that runs across the ground. Wow, yeah, squirrels are a, a formidable opponent, um, you know, it, it, against predators in the sense where I, I met a guy at a rehabilitation course who had his hands um, scarred up, you know, when I, I said, what the hell do you work with? And he says, oh, I rehabilitate squirrels. <laughs> they got quite the bite. Apparently. Absolutely. You never heard of that before, rehabilitating squirrels. I never heard of it. No. I, have you, Mike? I, I did. You have heard of it? I actually uh, have a very short story about rehabilitation. Uh, the, the wildlife people, that the dedication that they show. Uh, I met a guy who rehabilitates birds of prey, raptors. And he told me a story about uh, how one of them latched its talons into his forearm and for about 15 minutes straight he had to climb from a chair to a table and keep jumping off because uh, that, that promotes a natural release of Correct. the talons. And uh, by the end of it he, he needed all sorts of stitches and tendon repair and stuff like that. That's dedication. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what? I've been grabbed. I've seen it happen. I mean it's... It's inevitable that at one point when you're playing with a bird of prey, you're gonna get you're gonna get grabbed. And you know, and the best thing to do is don't freak out, relax, because the more you move, the more they're gonna get tight because they're they're and the what most of the time it happens is when you go in on a kill. So we don't we try to get in to assist that kill right away. We don't want our bird flopping around with a rabbit. We can break a leg, we can break a feather. So generally, when you see that bird hit that rabbit, that rabbit's gonna start screaming, you wanna rush in as fast as you can, and you, you're getting in there, and you're gonna dispatch that rabbit and help that bird. So when you get your hands in there, and you- So the bird has to understand the out command, like with a dog, ouse, out? Well, basically, that, bird is, that bird's there for the ride, and- You're working together? You're working together, and that bird, it's going to take a bit for that bird to realize that, hey, listen, that, that guy just helped me do the hardest part. Like, I mean, what, you're twisting the neck? Well, yeah, on, a on a rabbit, you're going to grab the back legs okay. and, the, and uh, just and blow the neck and give it a little stretch. Right, right. And then you're going to let it go. You're just going to stand back and on one knee, that rabbit, there, I mean, that hawk's now going to mantle. Basically, he's got his prize. We're going to let it relax. It'll start plucking. Um, and then what we do is we generally want to trade that bird yeah, off. That must uh, really satisfy a, a, a primal need for humans when you're you know working with an animal hunting like that. And it's one of those things. When you witness it, it's you, it's it's absolutely. I'm still I'm floored every single I'm time. Yeah. I, I put my hand up and when I call a bird and it comes out of a tree and it lands on my hand and that bird's a wild bird. Uh, there's nothing you love that it. beats it. Yeah, there's nothing that beats it. Absolutely. Right? And then you think. 
Fucking Tarzan. You know, back in the day, that's how they hunted, right? right. But they say it's been, you know, I think they've, so I read well, 4,000 years, doc, you know, it dates back to falconry, and that yeah. was just it, right? Yeah. They That's what they did. That's how they hunted. They Dogs and birds of prey, I think correct. That, those are the two main animals we've Now, do you ever come across a bird that's a fucking dud? They're I all, mean, this bird's a fucking dud. He's good for nothing. Just have him as a pet bird. Talk to him. Play with him. Those birds typically end up in a breeding program. Okay. Um, I mean, if they're not, so they're good for laying eggs. Yeah, they're good for laying eggs and they're good for breeding, but they aren't good for anything else. So you know, and you just hope that that genetically doesn't pass through the. But it, it's like you said, Dave. There's not a dog that can't be trained. It's the it's the person training the dog, and it, a lot has to do with hawks too. You know, any you, the the more you put in, the more you get out. I mean, if you're only flying, you know, if you're what they call a dabbler, and you're only going out on a Saturday once a week, you're not going to get your best performance. But if you're pushing that bird four, five, six days a week, it's like training a dog. You know, you train a dog every day for a month. That dog's on point. You train that dog once a week for a month. That dog's nowhere to even close to. You nailed it. Right, very, right. very well put. Very well put. Just a question here: Are there? Breeders that you know that their line of Harris hawks are just the best, or are there like different levels of how how effective a bird could be? Even though, like, if you put the same amount of time into three birds, is one going to just be well, more? Well, at the end of the day, a, goss, a goshawk is like I mean that is they that's the Cadillac of all birds. I mean, they're 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 a true forest hawk. They're what's uh, called an occipiter. So their brain and the way that they think isn't like a Harris hawk. A Harris hawk is the only bird of prey that flies in a group. They will hunt in a pack. They're, we call them the, 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 the wolves of the sky. Like a raven. Right, the so wolves they, of the sky, that's right, wild. The Harris hawks, they realize that if they hunt in a pack, they're more successful. That pack will usually consist of the female, which in birds of prey, females are always the bigger and the most dominant birds over the males. They're, and all species, your females are always going to be a bigger bird. And what is she referred to? Sorry, what is she referred to as the female? She, well, she's the boss. Just a female? Oh, she, yeah, like she's, a female dog is a is a bitch and a female cat is a queen? She's just a... She's just a, just a female. Yeah. So there's no trendy little nickname for a female bird? Not that I'm... I'm okay. not saying that there's not. It's just something that I have okay. not been told. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so you're going to have your, your, big, your female, which is going to be like the leader of the pack. She'll generally have two males. And then she'll have up to five offspring at different ages. And, you know, we, Crazy. Have, we fly, there's falconers that fly the uh, Harris hawks in casts. And that's like two, three oh, birds. So they learn like where they're from. There's not high purchase. So you'll see them in the wild standing on each other's shoulders. So they can actually see farther. Wow. So they'll use each other to stand. I mean, you see pictures of four. Actually standing on, on each other. Yeah, one wow. bird standing on the other bird. They're smarter than some of the people I've met in my oh, life. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because they're a more social species, does that make them easier to train? Correct. And that's, I mean, there was a, you know, there's a debate and, you know, it was a big thing over in the UK. A lot of people were saying that Harris hawks are kind of ruining this whole thing because they're so easy to train and so on and on and people say you know but at the end of the day i have a female harris hawk right now and she's the opposite of what people would expect if we're out and we're hunting and she's on a kill she's the most friendliest thing in the world she'll trade off 
But if we're at home and we're doing what's called a manning session where all we're doing is I got the TV on, dogs are running around the house, you know, the radio's playing in the background. Life what's, is, that, what's that mean a manning session? Socializing, so, chilling? Right, it's, life is happening and I'm spending time with that bird. Okay. So that bird is on my hand. I'm touching its feet. Yeah. I'm playing with its beak. I'm, I'm rubbing its chest. Right? That's a manning session. That yeah. Basically, we're just spending in quality time with that bird, but that bird's just hearing the TV. It's seeing the dogs run around. So it's, it's adapting to everything. Now, we talked about how dangerous the talons are. Just uh, want to know how, in comparison to the bite, uh, uh, is that is that less dangerous? Yeah, not dangerous? even. I I don't worry. I mean, I got nipped a little bit from the Harris hawk. Generally, it's it's the talons. It's the talons. It, that's the dangerous end. I see. That's very interesting. And in size comparison, uh, the Harris hawk. Uh, compared to what was the other one? Red tail. The uh, I guess a red tail, red. and then what? What's the other? Goshawk. The goshawk is uh, they're all different sizes. The goshawk. I mean, a friend of mine, his goshawk. I believe he flies around. I want to say nine sixty. 960 grams. My female Harris hawk will fly around 960 grams. Now, if you had both birds at the fittest they could be, that goshawk is still a way faster bird okay. than that Harris hawk. Okay. But now, if you had an unfit goshawk, that Harris hawk will fly just as good. I see. So, it's it all at the end of the day, it's the same as dogs. There's not a bad bird out there. It's nine out of ten times it's going to be the person training that bird, right. why that bird's not successful. And if you don't have a hunting ground to put game in front of that bird, that bird can't be successful anyways. So your first thing is make sure you have hunting grounds and you've been out to those hunting grounds. You've you got to work that bird. I right. like i got to see this now. Excuse me, I'll be out working my bird. Hold yeah. my calls. <laughs> yeah, and that's just, and you you have to make that dedication. You know, you're dedicating like at least one to two hours every single day you have to be able to put aside for that bird because if not then you're not doing what you you know what you're signed up to do you get out of your bird what you put into your bird that's right 100% 100% it's true man yeah exactly and and how about practice patience and praise i mean is that relevant to bird training and conditioning much like we say in dog training practice patience and praise very important it, components most certainly it is um it's just our praise there's not so much i mean i don't th- we do use verbal. I mean, I talk to my bird when she's flying. I'm like, come on, Fiona, let's go. And I'll yell, do I think she really... Good girl, good girl. Good girl. Yeah, I, I think more or less you put that piece of meat in front of their face, they're realizing they did good, then, you know what I mean? And at the end of the day, I can call her if we're out hunting and I call her. I've had times where she'll look down and if she sees nothing in my hand, she's not coming. And then I'll put a piece of meat in my hand, give her the whistle. And we use a whistle. So when we put food on our hand, present food, we use a whistle because if that bird's 200 yards down on the field, as soon as she hears that whistle, she knows she's getting something. And I've done 200, 250 foot recalls, which there is nothing better than having a 250 foot recall. Like it's, yeah. It blows your mind that this bird's going through all the trees through a forest and bam, it chooses you to land on. So these aren't domesticated animals. These are wild animals. Absolutely. That you're just conditioning and, and, and working with as best you can to... to would you call it training? I guess it, 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 yeah, it's training. It's, it is training, right? Because training is conditioning. And the fact that you blow your whistle and that bird comes swooping down right onto that fucking padded thing glove. on your arm, whatever the fuck it's, it's called. It's, it's a glove. A glove. Yeah. And now those, those are, you know, double layered, triple layered gloves that we order. I mean, mine came from uh, Serbia. I had uh, over there. <laughs> that's, you know, so... You know, and you you just you pay for what apparently you get. Where my cane corso bloodline came from. <laughs> okay. Serbia, apparently. And you know, and that's the other thing. Like, <laughs> this is just more 
in birds, you get into leather. Like we have some absolute amazing master leather makers that make hoods. They make your gloves, and then on like Gracie, she has her anklets, which are made out of can like up to kangaroo leather. Leather. They'll use different kinds of leather. And Gracie's the bird that you have here in Correct. the 4680Q studio right this moment. Yes, she is a, a she's about an eight month old American kestrel. She's a female. She, today she weighed 129 grams. So she's a very tiny bird. So weight management with this bird is very crucial because on a cold day like this, you know, one to two grams could be a huge difference on how their condition is. Now, do your birds see a veterinarian once or twice just for a proactive sort of initial health checkup? We do have a bunch of, well, I wouldn't say a bunch. There are veterinarians that are around um, that do deal with birds of prey. We have other gentlemen, like there's other men, uh, other people in the community that if we have any concerns, we can talk to. Um, I wouldn't say it's typical that you go get a bird and you, the first thing you do is go take it to a vet. You don't have to seek out an aviary veterinarian. No, we I mean, we're going to monitor their feces, make sure there's no worms in their feces. Um, you know, when you trap a bird, we, we do, you know, we're going to look at their talons, make sure we don't have any infections in their feet. If they've got any bad squirrel bites, you're going to check their feather condition. You're going to check for bugs. You're going to open up their mouth. You're going to make sure that their mouth, they have no black spots. Everything in their mouth is looking good. You're going to look at their eyes. Bring your hand to one side. Bring your hand to the other side. Make sure that their eyes, everything's working. So you're doing a full health inspection on the side of the road before you even take decide that, hey, that's my bird. You know, Because if we want a female, we're going to weigh that bird on the roadside. And we're going to determine that sex pretty much by weight. You know, If it's, say, 700 grams, good chances are it's probably a male. We're males you know you used to take a 700 gram against a 350 gram cottontail rabbit that's a little bit of a fight you know people want to get up into the females you know a thousand gram 1200 gram 1300 gram female red tail juvenile is more no, no, gonna be able to handle that fight on that jackrabbit opposed to like say a 700 gram male the old fogies years and years ago like i mean guys that are older than me they would throw around a term you know ah you silly old you know bird brain you know they'd say it in a rude derogatory way bird brain i don't know if you've ever heard that i have and uh i mean birds are fucking smart you look at a raven. Or so, a like to, to say, you know, bird brain in a negative or derogatory way is just completely false. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. these birds are, are smarter than some of the people we all know, probably. Crows and ravens are absolute. They're they're problem solvers. They know how to problem solve and strategists. Right. What blew my mind is when you told me about them getting on each other's uh, backs yep. to build height. They they like that's a strategist brain. They adapt. To their situation, and that's that's you know they they have the ability to adapt and to learn, and you know you see some of these guys that train Harris hawks, you know, and I'm not, and I know it's over and beyond going out and hunting them, but you know to keep them occupied and stuff. I mean, there's a guy that has different shapes, and he'll hide treats under different shapes, and you know he'll get these birds doing puzzles, right? And you know what I mean, and it, it's it's un- unbelievable. It's amazing. I, I've seen footage of a, uh, I think it was Japan. But these crow-like birds, probably crows, I don't know. But they were uh, picking these nuts that they really love. But the shells almost—they're probably playing with their nuts. And they actually will drop them onto busy roads, and they'll wait for cars to to crush them. And uh, when there's no traffic, when the light's red, whatever, they go down and they they get their reward. There's another type of bird, the lammaguire eats. Uh, 
uh, bones, I, I guess. It goes for the marrow. Yep. Flies up really high, drops the bones on rocks so that it breaks open so that they can get to it. There's actually a, a type of hawk that does that to tortoises. They can't get through the shell well. They fly up really high with these little European tortoises and Asian tortoises, I, I believe it is, and, and, and they'll drop them again on rocks and stuff, cracks open the shell, and they're easier to get yeah. there. Yeah, brilliant. There, right? Isn't that yeah, amazing? very brilliant. Yeah. Very amazing. <clears throat> yeah. So... Um, how about bites? We talked about uh, uh, you know the bird. A bird can get stressed if they, if they if they're stressed and, and bite their keeper. What do you refer to yourself as the bird's keeper owner? I'm daddy. I'm a, I'm a hunting partner. I'm just a partner. Okay. Yeah. There's nothing else. I mean, equal. No. Yeah. I'm gonna. You know, that's you're the, thing. the bird's hunting partner. Right. And at the end of the day, you know, <clears throat> excuse we, me. You try not to get attached, but with any animal, we grow feelings towards our birds. But you, at the back of the in the back of your head, you have to think that every time I walk into that mew. And I grab my Harris hawk. She looks at me and she's like, can I kill him and eat him yet? Am I big enough? So that's going through the head. That's going through her head. She has no sentimental value. I'm nothing to her. All I am, that's right, I'm a hunting partner that gives her a good place to live. I make sure she's fed every day and I'm going to put her over wild game. That's all I am to her. I'm nothing more, nothing less. It doesn't matter if it was me or it was you or the next guy down but the you're, street. But you're a food source to some degree because she recalls you feeding her. Correct, yes. But but that doesn't mean... So you wouldn't say that your birds respect you? I, I mean... The way a dog would. Right. They, they respect you to the point where you can get a bird where I can, you know, I can my red tail, I could play with her feet and she would never foot me. Right now, this Harris Hawk I have, we're working on it, where she'll get a little bit footy, where she'll just, like, try to karate chop you, and she'll reach out and try to <laughs> grab you. <laughs> and if she sticks her talons in you, she's reaching, grabbing, and pulling. So she, I mean, I have a cut there on my finger. So, like, she will, like, she does get you, and you just got to be prepared for it, but try to be faster than the bird, but they're really fast. Kevlar gloves? Uh, we use a lot of leather. leather yeah, yeah, like leather you gloves. said. Um, and what was that? The worst bite? What, like, what the was worst the worst bite that I ever had? Was yeah, from my hair sock. She grabbed the, my skin, and but she turned her beak, so she rolled it and pinched it. Her average bite when I'm checking her keel, she'll go down and she'll nibble a little bit on my hand, and it's more or less just a like a nibble. She's not trying to cause pain or to inflict pain. It's at the end of the day, it's you know, you get into an eagle. You might, you know, that could be a different story. There, they when they bite you, that can be, you know, that could be very. You mentioned something um, interesting before that you always want the the bird to have a slight weight advantage over its prey. Was it was that correct? No, no, not necessarily because over in the UK they'll take, you know, those hares over in the UK. You watch a lot of videos. They're eight pounds, and there's a two and a half pound Harris okay. hawk grab, okay. and okay. and you know it, I'm not gonna say it's a really big fight for that Harris hawk. So when you release your bird, you wanna as soon as that bird comes off your fist, you're running full tilt. And you're just you're running right after that bird. So when that okay. bird gets on that hair, you want to be there instantly okay. or as fast as possible to get on that that hair to secure that hair for your bird, right? Have you ever seen the footage of um, where they're, I, th I think it's in uh, Nepal or something like that, and they're, they're actually using these eagles to hunt foxes? Oh, rather large, you know, like 29-type yep. animals there. And it, what, what do you think the weight would difference would be on those guys? Would you think the fox would weigh more than the bird? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was um, at the Ontario Hawking um, Barbecue this past summer, and I was honored to be able to hold my first male golden eagle and he was i believe they, that what they use yeah i believe he was 22 pounds and wow, 22, pounds. 22 pound male eagle or male golden eagle and uh he secured four coyotes the previous season wow. with a bunch of canadian geese 
That's so, amazing. Right, and they I mean there's a gentleman on on you know there's some YouTube videos where these guys and they, they will hunt coyotes and fox over in the UK. They hunt a lot of foxes because foxes are it's a big thing. There's a lot of foxes running around the UK, so they do okay. hunt foxes okay. with golden eagles on a regular basis over there. And if I'm not mistaken, golden eagles they you'll actually find them in quite a few places around the world, like naturally. Occurring. Absolutely, yes, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, they're the highest flying bird in the world. Wow. They, they, so really? when you see a golden eagle at say you know 24 pounds and she's got a little raven or a crow picking on her. The reason why she doesn't waste any time fighting them back when she could kill them, she'll just keep flying higher and higher okay. to where the point where those crows and ravens can't fly that high. I see. And then they'll they'll just take off, and then she so she doesn't waste her time on picking little battles. Like even in my backyard, when I have my bird out and it's weathering you, her weathering yard, I'll have the starlings and the blackbirds dive bombing and swooping at them, okay. and she just sits there and looks at them. She's not she doesn't go off chasing them, but I mean you do get a lot of problems in the city with other birds coming in and harassing our, okay. our birds. Um, the most impressive bird of prey I've ever seen in the reel is um, the harpy eagle. Absolutely. And I, I was in a zoo in Texas or something checking out the, you know, just love at, looking at animals and learning new stuff. And uh, I, I, I swear this thing was hunting me. It, it was uh, it, like, I, I don't know, I, you know, it, it was a very intimidating experience where it was above me and it was kind of following me and it made a couple noises. I don't know, maybe maybe it was just being territorial, but it was terrifying in the Absolutely. sense that like, this thing was massive. Like uh, their rear talon is bigger than their rear talon is longer than a grizzly bear's. Are they the biggest bird of prey in they, the world? They are. They They're, are. This, the, yeah, you got your harpies, and then below the harpies is your uh, African crowned eagles. Okay. And you mean they're both basically have kind of a similar okay. mindset, but I mean the harpy eagles when they their their biggest prey is they hunt a lot of monkeys. Right, I mean, yeah, they have shortened wings or something because they have to fly through trees. Right, they're they're a fast bird as well. They got the long tail, so like a red tail hawk has a short tail. So a red tail hawk is more of a dive bomber. She's okay. gonna go up to high. She's gonna use her body weight and she's gonna dive bomb. She's gonna break through bushes. She's gonna smash trees. They're just gonna they're just that's what they do. They they smash bushes and they will get their game. Wow. Where you get something like a harpy eagle or a goshawk. They're coming right off the fist. They're flying, so they're going to do more of a chase style. Well, that long tail allows them to maneuver through the forest, you know, turn on a dime, drop on a dime. That gives them more, you know, movability through the forest. Where a red-tailed hawk, they're not more. They're not much of a chasing bird. They're more of a dive bombing bird. So interesting. Where do owls fit into all this? I mean, so you got your hawks and your eagles. It almost sounds like eagles are your biggest, hawks are, are next in line. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more to it than that. Right. Then there's owls. Uh, are there other other? Well, kinds? then you got owls, and then you got long wings, which are your falcons. Okay. So I mean, when you get into owls, the problem with owls, I mean, they don't make for a good falconry bird but because they're nocturnal. they're nocturnal. We can't hunt at night in can in, uh, in Ontario. So when you get an owl, you're basically you're going to use them for shows. Um, birthdays, you know, you can get up to the point where you can even post. Some people want owl pictures at weddings, oh. um, events. So you're basically doing it. Is for, that a thing? People want owl pictures at uh, weddings? I mean, I wouldn't see why not. I'm sure people want pictures of right? no, just about everything. <laughs> yeah, like, so, the world's gotten crazy. You know, you get something like a Eurasian eagle owl, you know, a big female. She's absolutely gorgeous. You, you imprint her. She plays with kids. You know, she's 20 pounds sitting on your hand. You show up at a wedding and she's picture perfect okay. gorgeous feathers one of the most majestic looking birds you'll ever see 
I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure people would love to have pictures with something like that at a wedding. I believe there's cases of human fatalities from that that species. Is that have you heard heard of anything like that? I, I've read this thing about like the the ten deadliest birds, and I, I think the eagle owls was one of them. Uh, just want to know. If you, have I, you know what? I I'm that. not I'm not sure on those statistics. I know that like. You know, I've seen videos where, like, the, the you know, golden eagle has went in and picked up an eight-year-old kid and started to fly away with it. Right. Um, you know, so... I'm sure a harpy's probably taking oh, a, a harp, few toddlers. The, oh, absolutely. And the problem with the harpy is with that rear talon being, you know, up to, I think, nine, 11 inches long. Wow. I mean, they'll put it right through a monkey's skull. Like, that's how much pounds per square inch of pressure that's in those harpy eagle's feet are... That's what makes them so, you know, absolutely dangerous. I mean, they'll take that, you know, nine-inch talon and go right through the skull. And insane, insane. The strength. I would, yeah, absolutely. You know, you're wearing, you're wearing like six, seven-layer gloves, hoping that, you know, and they could actually. I believe I read somewhere that they have enough strength in their feet that they could break your, like, break bones in your arm if they actually squeeze hard enough. Believe it, right? Yeah, it makes sense. Brad McIntosh, thanks for joining me on. My show, Unleashed, you are a fountain of information regarding the birds of prey. You're passionate about all your animals. Uh, I know that you're going to someday uh, join me as an apprentice at the Dave McMahon Dog Academy to get involved more with different uh, phases of dog training, different aspects. So I'm looking forward to that. I am as well. How can people reach you if they have any questions about birds of prey, Brad? Facebook? Facebook would be the best thing. Brad McIntosh? Correct. You'll see uh, my picture is of a red tail, a red tail hawk, an adult red tail hawk. Um, if you got any questions, yeah, look me up on Facebook. Mike Bones, London, owner of Reptile Kingdom Canada. How can people reach you? Oh, we're on Facebook. Uh, we got our website, reptilekingdomcanada.com. Uh, we got our, our store that's open six days a week, just closed on Mondays. Call anytime. Uh, my cell phone is available for for texting. Um. Yeah. So, uh, I, I'd just like to say I, I really appreciate your passion. This was a, a very, very amazing podcast, and I appreciate you having me on as a guest here, Dave. It's always fun having you uh, along for the ride, Mike, and the great questions that you asked as well. Um, yeah. So again, we are brought to you by Niagara Mobile Rust Proofing, uh, and we are broadcasting in Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada, at 4680Q.ca, 4680Q.com, Niagara's only online radio station, and you can check out the Unleashed. With me, Dave McMahon, on all the podcast platforms, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, etc., etc. Have yourselves a doggone good day, everyone. Talk to you later. See you later. Bye.